Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Don't move at all. Okay. Should we start again? <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so... The issue we're having now, uh, hello, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) The shit headphones are still here. It's like Pilates, isolate your body and only move one arm. Don't move your core, just keep your head straight. Chanel literally cannot move move. because the microphone will cut out. Okay, um, this is a feedback that... Just give me the damn feedback. It's multiple feedbacks. They came in, there was DM. DM, DM, on their Facebook page. Every time there's a new message, message, I'm going to go, right, bing. It's all yours. Okay. Okay. And we're naming this fucker because you've told me he said bad things. Okay, so from Joey, 21st of January, 2022, Joey Sayers, this one awesome podcast. Nice. It's a good start, isn't it? Thanks, Joey. Bing. Stop the accents. Oh, yeah. Bing. Yeah. I love your accents now. Oh. <laughs> I want him over. Yep. Bing. Great work, ladies. I have a story about dead bodies when I was in southern Utah. Nice things, nice things. Oh, so he's really oh, on the bandwagon at this point. On, but yes. Yep. Bing. The Casketeers is a must watch. It's giving us recommendations. He's he, on cares, the, he cares about our viewing pleasure. We're on the 23rd of January now. Okay. Bing. Dee Dee. Pretty awesome Irish accent. So he's on board now. He's Thank like, you, I'm on board. I do appreciate it very much. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the next, another day's past. Yes. So he's binging. Yeah. <laughs> Bing. When I was living in Adelaide in the early 90s, our neighbour was John Bunting. Many years later, I was looking through my photos and was shocked to notice that I was standing next to the most dangerous man in Australia. I was a missionary for my church, 1991. Mm. Bing. Interesting. Chanel yes. Vella, do you have to scream? Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Bing. Buried Alive, David Blaine, YouTube. He sent a YouTube link. Yeah, nice. Hmm. I didn't bother to look at it. <laughs> Bing. I'm not listening anymore. Disrespectful. He's off us. <laughs> Bing. Channel 9 is better. Now that... I, I work for Channel 7, by yeah. the way. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, he's still stayed with us though, right? So he's saying he's not listening anymore on, I don't know, I think the 24th of January, he said, I'm not listening anymore. Here we are, the 25th of January. Bing. Oscar Leonard, Carl Pistorius, the Blade Runner. Is that another link? He sent another link? Didn't you do an episode where you, I know you did, because you did your Riva, Riva. Oh, okay, right, right, right. about him. Mm. Okay. So maybe he was correcting you or something. Bing. Shamel Vella, he spelt my name wrong. You must wear the pants in the relationship. Poor guy. <laughs> Bing. Shamel Vella, get off the red cordial. <laughs> He's still with us. Bing. Stop gas bagging and get on with the podcast, please. We're on the next Wait day. till he gets to the period episode. Oh. Bing. Yeah. Bloody hell, Shamel Vella. Calm down. My ears hurt now from the Carmen Thomas story. You sound like a wild banshee. <laughs> Bing. 
think I can do a better job in doing this podcast because sometimes you get off track. Can you stop waffling and get on with it? Bad things, bad things. <laughs> Bing. Or crap things, crap things. Oh, Joey, he hates us now by that point. But then he sends an email. Okay, so that was all between the 21st of January and the 26th of January. <laughs> I'd like to note that it was on the – hold on. It was on the 24th that he said, I'm not listening anymore. He continued to write to us <laughs> until the 26th and on the 30th we received an email. <laughs> I had a few bad experiences of dead bodies. I'm, I can't say, I'm going to say this the Australian way, but it's wrong. Can I just point out that Joey's email is also in it's, super huge font. Is this I, the size he sent it in? Yes, and I can't hate him for that because he's obviously taken note of the fact that we like big lettering. We do. So we can read it. Yeah. I go like size 18, but he says, I'm, I say Maori, but that's, yeah. is that wrong? Is it? I feel like there's a different, there's a proper way to say it and I'm oh. not sure I'm saying it right. Um, he says that he's been to many Maori funerals. It's a beautiful and spiritual thing. He is right. Their funerals are mm. beautiful. Yeah. It's part of the Maori culture. The last dead body was of my father who died from cancer. I'm very sorry, Joey, to hear that. I hope to hear from you soon. Good thing. He's back to good things, good things. <laughs> and then he says, loving the podcast. <laughs> yes, you should do something on the Port Arthur Massacre. I knew some of the police and paramedics who were there. Aww. Joey Sayers, fucking shut the front gate. Joey Sayers, your biggest fan from Tassie. <laughs> Joey Is has he come not the best full we've ever had? circle. I actually love this. I love I, it too. I love the emotional roller coaster he's gone through with us. And mm. you know what, Joey? I go through that with myself. So it's fine. <laughs> and I don't mind that you called me Jamel. I don't mind that you told me to calm down. I love that you stuck with us and that you're still here. Isn't it great? Good I on you, love Joey. it. Thank Good you. on you, Joey. I love this. Look, we're open to all sorts of feedback. Sorry, we, we I was yelling. The bad ones. What was I yelling maybe, about? Know, it could be moida. It could Moira. be moida. Yeah, I probably was yelling, but Joey, just turn your volume down. You've got options. I'm taking us back to 1853 in Brighton. 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 It says Brighton. So if you're not from Melbourne, it's a very lovely suburb. I was thinking Big about mansions. Brighton the other day because I was driving through Brighton. Is Brighton in the United Kingdom as posh as it is here? Don't know. That's what I was wondering. I was wondering, I wonder if people come here and think, mm. Brighton is a trash suburb I'm pretty in sure the UK. Maybe it's not. the UK, it's also a Bayside suburb. Oh, think, right. So it's a which Bayside is, thing. It is in Melbourne. Yeah. Well, it definitely Brighton. will be named after the English one, I would think. Okay. So Brighton these days is known for beautiful big mansions and it is. very lovely people all called Karen. Yes. <laughs> who demand nothing but the very best when they're purchasing things from the provador up It the was road. an expensive place to live. That's right. Mm. Uh, in 1853, though, it was mostly known as just a quiet little village because it's uh, a little way out of the city. Yep. So back in those days, there was an area of Brighton that had just been bought and it was called Two Acre Village. Just for the locals today, that's the Nepean Highway Centre Dandenong, Chesterville Road and Bernard Street. So it's a parcel of land, about um, just over 600 acres. And that was known as Two Acre Village. Which and is well and truly built up now. Yeah. But in those days, it was divided into two acre allotments, really right. large blocks. And that's the reason why Brighton, um, because 
it has all those lovely big mansions because they started out as these great big right. blocks. So uh, in those days, the early settlers bought them for £10 and, and some of them set up market gardens, some of them built stores, butchers, blacksmith, uh, blacksmiths, all sorts of stuff. There was a post office in the area, a couple of hotels, and a man named Charles Smith bought one of those two-acre blocks. Mm-hmm. He had a wife, Bridget, and uh, when they arrived in Melbourne, they must have come from the UK and I'm not entirely sure, but they had worked in the city. In a, they ran a little fruit shop in Burke Street. But they bought one of these lovely blocks. They moved to Brighton. They built a small wooden house with two rooms. Bridget was described in the newspapers at the time as a fine-looking young woman. Why was she in the newspaper? Well, because of what happens in oh, a moment. Yep. They always did this. Yeah. Fine-looking young woman. Oh, there's other descriptions. And the re- this is the reason I'm doing this story is because I was trawling through the old newspapers. It's the way... They describe things. They reported I on know. it. I know. And the way that the... Well, there was no forensic team. The way that they dealt with crime scenes. It's, it's so, wild. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, so there's Charles Smith, Bridget... Um, fine-looking young woman. She was about 30. Uh, I think he was about the same age. And they had one child, a little uh, 18-month-old boy. I think his name was Charles, the little fella. Okay. And the same as the father. So Charles Smith was farming the piece of land that he bought. And he had a 19-year-old working for him, a young man called George Pinkerton. So George Whitfield Pinkerton had been born in Sydney in 1832. He was the son of the Reverend William Pinkerton. From, Black, from Glasgow, who was a professor at Sydney University. When George was about three years old, his father died and his mother took him back to Scotland to study and he went to school there for six years. He learned Latin, Greek, French, mathematics. He spent a couple of years at an academy in Musselburgh before going to sea on a ship called the Acadian. And then a few years later, he joined a ship called the Ticonderoga, which you may you have said heard that about. really well. Well, I've heard about it before, and you didn't hesitate. No, the Ticonderoga. I may have even done it during my. Yeah, there was a period there where I was doing a lot of seagoing <laughs> dead body stories. Yes, there my, was. Yeah, a lot of ships. Yeah, I may have been in that period. It got referred yep. to. So it was known as the Ticonderoga. See, I, can't See, I stuffed it for you. Sorry. Go again. It's all wrecked. The Ticonderoga yeah. was known as the fever ship because it left Liverpool in 1852. It was overcrowded. It was mm. unsanitary. It had 795 passengers Ugh. on board, which I think was more than it was supposed to carry. A lot of them were children. And the short version of the story is that a lot of them got sick. A hundred people died mm. in the voyage. When it got here to Melbourne, it was stopped at Point Nepean. Yep. And um, it was full of disease, so they quarantined it down there. Anyway, somehow, George Pinkerton, who was on that ship, and I think he was actually working on that ship as a – they called him a half officer, which is just weird. I just pictured, like, just a pair of legs. Just a half officer. Yeah, or maybe the top half is more useful. Uh, Somehow he escaped the ship and went AWOL or whatever they call it, deserted ship. And he made his way to Brighton, where he got this job working for Charles Smith, clearing the land of scrub. He was clearing trees, preparing it for planting. And neighbours said that Pinkerton appeared to be a very quiet and an innocent young chap. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Charles Smith and Bridget, they couldn't have done more for him if he'd been their own son. So all everyone's happy. On Friday, January 21st, 1853, so being January, the very height of summer, mm-hmm. Charles Smith had to go into the city, which was about 15 kilometres away. He had to get some manure. And he left his 
wife Bridget and his little child at home and Pinkerton was working on the land. He got back to Brighton at about three o'clock in the afternoon and as well as the manure, he had been given three rabbits as a present for his wife. Huh. I have a slight problem with this and if I had the Terry Bell, I'd do it to myself. Ding. Why? Well, maybe in those days that was lovely. Maybe <laughs> maybe because I'm just guessing, like if Nico brought home three rabbits. I'd actually be thrilled. Oh, would you? Yeah. See, I'd be as shitty as. If would you? Yeah, well, you can't put them on your ring and admire how they oh, sparkle. Oh, you want something. You can't See, rub I'm them all about the and... animals, though, so I would love that. I tried to convince him to get chickens. He wouldn't I'm gonna, do it. I'm pretty sure they'd be dead. Oh, dead rabbits like to cook for dinner. Right. Oh, okay. If they're not There's alive, I don't want them. No. And here's my point. As a present Sorry. for his wife, it's like, oh, I've given you a… A job. That's giving right. Giving you a job. Mm-hmm. Nicholas, so <laughs> Nicholas and I have a thing about this, right? He fucker loves to give me jobs. And I am putting my foot down on things that are not relevant to my life. <laughs> like he'll say, oh, I should do X, Y, Z. And I'll go, oh, oh I'll do that. Why am I taking the job? Yeah. And Don't so do it. my sister mm. and I, our favorite thing is to give Nico jobs. I actually prefer to do the jobs because, well, I give Kieran jobs when he doesn't do them. There's quite a few that I've asked to be done. Mm. One of them was, can you please fix the tap on the bath upstairs so that I can have a bath? Oh, fair, fair request. About six weeks ago, Mm. maybe more, two months ago, he took the tap down to his shed. It's still down there. Mm. It's not going to turn the bath on from down there. See, I, for those who follow was married in March and I said to my dad just before Christmas on the phone, we were just talking and I said to my dad, I, for the life of me, cannot work out why I have been married since March and my husband hasn't washed my car. Like that's a husband job. Is it? Absolutely. I, I have already, like, my afternoon today is going to be washing my car. No That's one not your my job. Car. Yeah, but you, if you want it done properly, and here's my example. So yesterday I did a slow roasted lamb shoulder. Okay. And we had it for dinner in um, souvlaki wraps with shredded lettuce. Delicious. And, yep, all the, all the nice, you know, everything. Um, and Kieran said, oh, I'll wash the pan. Oh, no. Yeah, and this morning it's there, still sitting where it was dry. It's all greasy. He hasn't put. I don't know what he's done. See, my dad always used to wash my mum's car, so I just think of it as something that a husband should do. So, dad, though, for Christmas he got Nicholas one of those buckets that's got the sponge in it and the car wash stuff, and he wrapped it up and he gave it to Nicholas and was like, "This is your job, mate. You're married now." (laughs) He has still not washed my car once. What I we're well into. Can you ask directly for the? Could you please wash my car? Wash my car. And to be honest, I don't care if I get around in a dirty car. It doesn't bother me. I see. I've reached my limit of dirty car because I've been okay with it. But now the little camera things are all frosted over. And what happens is when I back out of the garage, it's right near the chicken coop. It starts beeping. No, no. Betty runs out and she'll run out to the car like, where are you going? Oh, and you're going to hit her. Yeah. She's done it a couple of times. So I need to be able to see. My point is only Nico complains that the car is dirty. Well, wash, wash it. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, don't, maybe rabbits, maybe there are people grateful for them. No, don't bring something home and go, here's a present here's a for you. Yeah. yeah. That's not a present. Mm. Give her something she can wear or spray on herself or something. Fair. Okay. So, when he got home uh, with the rabbits and the manure, the front door was locked. Okay. So, he thought that perhaps she had gone down to the beach to collect shells. 
the front door being locked would be unusual for that yep. time. Yeah. Because no one locked their doors, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he also thought it was a bit odd that Pinkerton wasn't working in the garden. So he looked through the keyhole and he saw that the key was inside. So he knocked again really loudly and he kicked and he called out to Bridget, but she didn't reply. Mm. So... He thought he heard a footstep. He heard a noise inside the cottage. So he got a rope and he tied the door to a veranda post so that nobody could get out. And he ran down the road to the home of his neighbour, Elizabeth Googe. That's really smart. Yeah. And he asked Elizabeth Googe, had she seen Bridget? And she hadn't. So he told Mrs. Googe that, and by the way, Mrs. Googe, keep your eye on her because she is all over this. Okay. She's got this all sorted. Right. She's everywhere. Uh, he told her that he thought there was something wrong at the house. So she got another man called John Mile mm-hmm. who worked for her and they all went back to the house. So Charles got a sledgehammer and he knocked the window in. Didn't smash the glass, but just knocked the frame of the window. Yep. And Mrs. Googe, who's gone, I've got this. Yeah, she's pushed the window a little bit. She was able to see a little she's bit us. inside. Yep, she yes, is. she's yes. us. I know she should have had like a microphone and right? a, and a moiter t shirt. Step aside, you. we got this. In fact, I actually made a note on this that uh, if she'd been wearing a moiter t shirt, it could yep. have been you. Yeah, doing it. So she looks in and says, unhelpfully, I think, "Oh my God, they're all dead." <laughs> I should be very Australian in those. Oh my God, they're, they're all, all dead. dead. Crikey. Um. So by that stage, two other local men had turned up, so they all helped to knock the door in. So mm. again, Elizabeth Good goes in first. See? Again, this is us. Hand back, fellas. I've got this. There's four yep. blokes there. No, she's no. Yeah, four. Lizzie's got it. Uh, okay, so she went over to Bridget Smith's body, but she was dead. Mm. It appeared she'd been strangled. There was a bag of sugar on I her head. You were going to say a bag of shit. <laughs> No. You held the yes. Just, Someone did I? You, yeah, there was a bag of sibling. Someone had put a bag of sugar on her head. George, like an empty bag. Covered no, her head. a full bag. Oh, what? Yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? I know, isn't it? Oh, funny it's so strange, it though. Yeah, and it's awful. Uh, so George Pinkerton was lying with his head on her breast. And he had a gunshot wound on his left side. It was just under his heart. Mm -hmm. And the slugs had come out through his shoulder. The gardener. Yes. Right. Who'd been on the ship and deserted and then turned up working on their property. And now he's laying there with his head on her dead body breast. His shirt was covered in dried blood. But he was still alive and he was oh. asking for water. Oh. So Charles Smith, who I think his go-to thing every time is just get a rope. So he got a rope <laughs> again and he tied Pinkerton's <laughs> hands together, which I think actually think was unusual because you wouldn't – he was obviously just suspicious or whatever. For yeah. some reason, he ties his hands together. He then the go-to rope. So where's the baby? Oh. He then starts searching for the 18-month-old and he finds his baby dead mm. under half a bag of barley. What? So, Charles's gun was lying next to Pinkerton. Now, he knew that when he had left that gun this, in that morning, it had been loaded with duck shot but not capped. So, it was a double-barreled gun and mm-hmm. both barrels had been loaded when he left it. The gun was by Pinkerton's right side and one barrel had been discharged. Okay. So there was another version of how 
<laughs> in the newspapers because they, they just report anything. They just whatever fact There's they can a, get. They just, just go with it. It just all goes in there. And they make up the bits they don't know. Yeah. So there was another version of how the awful scene unfolded in another newspaper. It said that a man named McDonald said that he had visited the cottage and when he got no answer, he went inside and found the body. Mm. And he said that he then rode off to the Brighton Hotel to get the local policeman, Constable Draper. Anyway, either way, when the local doctor got there, Dr Casperson, Pinkerton was still alive, but the doctors said they, they thought he only had a short time to live. Pinkerton was in agony. He was described as cool and collected and he was able to tell police what had happened he said that when Charles Smith was away from the house he had attempted to take improper liberties with Mrs Smith who had resisted he grabbed her by the throat and strangled her and at that point the baby started to cry so Pinkerton strangled him as well well they're not in a rush to get this bloke any kind of medical help are they no he's still laying there in the cottage he's still laying there the doctors turned up yep uh, so he said that when he saw that she wasn't moving, he put the bag of sugar on her head, but mm. he couldn't really explain why he did that. Um, and he thinks he's dying at this point, so he thinks he might as well just confess right. what I've done wrong. And yep. they've told him, you're probably going to die, mate. Yeah. Uh, he said he looked around the room, he saw the gun, he propped it up against his left side, he stooped over it, he drew the trigger. Uh, he was asked whether the attack was premeditated, but he said it wasn't. He just had a sudden impulse. And um, he was offered a priest, but he turned that down. And they said that he just, even though he was told Offering he was going to die. Well, just because he was so going to die. No, but it's just so, like... For the last rites. Just race the priest there. Why are you asking him if he wants <laughs> Well, by one? the sound of it, everyone is in this little two-room cottage Everyone is in point. this room. The whole neighbourhood is there. So Charles Smith has, is, is absolutely frantic at this point. They had to put a, a guard over him and they gave him some powerful narcotics. I hate to think what that was in those days. Uh, when those wore off, apparently he was a bit more calm, but they described him in the papers as being in a pitiable mental condition hmm. because he'd lost his wife and child. And Bridget, here's the other part, this is terrible, they found out later, Bridget had been pregnant. Mm. So he's just devastated. A local reporter turns up now. Righto. And again, Chanel Vella, 1853. Here we go. Enters the cottage and saw George Pinkerton. So here's some of his report, and I'll read it to you, because he's just poking around in he every little in. and cranny. Yep, there's no forensic, there's no little booties on or anything, no hazbat suit. Uh, he reports... His personal appearance was certainly not calculated to create an impression that he would be likely to be guilty of crimes. Oh, my God. Of such atrocious character as those of what he admits himself to be the author, the author of the crime. crime. So, in other words, he, didn't, he reckons that Pinkerton didn't look like a murderer. Yeah. He is a young man of fair complexion and of decidedly pleasing expression of countenance. Oh. Like, what? A decidedly pleasingly. Good looking. Hmm. His person, for so young a man, is remarkably stout and muscular, and his height, we should say, is about five feet nine inches. We should say. Our reporter found him not nearly so weak as he had expected. Okay. So the reporter claimed that the doctor at the scene said there was no point in saving Pinkerton's life because he was so uh, sure to be hanged for what he'd done anyway. So oh. the doctor was like taking Let his sweet time. Let him go now. Yes, exactly. Um, but the reporter said that he had the impression, not a doctor, but he's made his own medical assessment. Right. He said he thought Pinkerton was not close to death. And as it turns out, he was right. So anyway, the police moved Pinkerton to the Brighton Hotel because mm-hmm. hotels is where they did all this kind of business at that time. Um they had to move him and keep him under guard because some of the locals had talked about tying him to a stake and burning him. Mm. 
It's getting a bit witchy. It's wild in those right. days, isn't it? Uh, the reporter said he found. He's so still much going. Has, so much has happened. So much has happened. <laughs> like the locals are deciding what they're going to do with him. They're, yep. they're trying to work out if the priest is going to come or not. They're talking to the blo- – you're going to die. Did you want the priest? No. Okay, well, well, the locals are planning your exit. So we just reckon you should go now because you've, you've done this. There's no point. See that journo over there? He's yeah, he's looking no, at you. No one's watching what the journo's doing. So the journo's just poking around through everything, picking stuff up, handling shit. What? He finds uh, what he says is an object at the opposite of the room. He described it as the body of the 18-month-old boy. So in all of the chaos, the dad's fainted or whatever or being described as a weak. The murderer's the, the dying. The baby's just laying there. Nobody's, and so the reporter's now got the baby, or looking okay. at the baby. He describes as the baby as having sunk beneath the ruffian's grasp, doomed to an early tomb because it had dared to raise its tiny voice on behalf of its struggling mother. See, there's an example. He's filling in the. He wasn't there when it happened. He didn't know that the baby cried. Doomed uh, to a tomb. Okay, so then he gets really graphic. He's gonna, he, okay. Since he's got the baby all to himself, he's describing okay. it. He wrote in the paper. The poor child presented a dreadful appearance. The face was completely black. Around the nose, mouth and ears were quantities of coagulated blood. And on the throat were distinctly discernible discernible the marks of the murderer's grasp. Then he goes on. He's gone, well, I've got that down for the paper. Now I'll describe Mrs. Smith. Her face, nearly black and like that of her child, covered with coagulated blood, her clothes disordered, her hair dishevelled, and her eyes closed. The features were those of a handsome and intelligent-looking woman of about 30 years of age. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes on to describe, because he hasn't finished, you know, like just what Poking he's doing about. to his family. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he describes Charles Smith as having been reduced to a state of idiocy. Idiocy? Mm-hmm. Okay, so remember it's hot. The bodies are decomposing. Uh, it's chaos. People it's are planning chaos. to burn people at stakes. Yep. Everything's mad. Uh, the plan was to hold the inquest the next day, but they couldn't get a jury together quickly enough, so they moved it to the Monday. Gah, let's leave those bodies laying around. I'm guessing they didn't what? have morgues and fridges. Leave the bodies days. there. Yeah. So in the meantime, the bodies were washed and placed in coffins. Well, while they were washing the blood from Bridget Smith's face, a Big wound was found on her chin. One of her shoulders was literally smashed. Ugh. There were injuries on other parts of her body, okay. which suggested that Pinkerton wasn't telling the whole truth because he'd only mm. admitted to strangling her. So he changed his statement. He said that when he made the first assault upon Mrs. Smith, she tore his shirt, bit him, and seized him by the throat. And I cannot love her more at this point. Like she fought. She yeah, absolutely she fought was strong. her life. He became enraged at her fighting back and all thought of her raping her went from his mind and that's when he caught her by the throat and he pressed mm. it and he threw her down and, and I won't describe and that's when he put the sugar bag over her head and I right. still don't know why he did that. Um, he said then he looked about for the gun, shot himself and he fell onto her body at the time, which mm. I couldn't have fallen somewhere else, mate. So the inquest was held at the Little Brighton Hotel. I tried to look it up, I don't know if it's still there, uh, it was held before W.H. Campbell, M.D., because these are the days when they didn't always use their full names, uh, and a highly respectable jury who had oh. been who had been shown the dead bodies because right. they used to have them at the hotel it's for the inquest. very quick court process. 
and the Herald reported the, them like this. The body presented a frightful appearance, decomposition having rapidly set in. The body was literally as black as charcoal. Mm. And few who had known the unfortunate deceased a few months ago would have recognised any resemblance in the frightful mass of putridity before them. There's, there's no what thought given. What is the given. point of even showing them these bodies? That, but that, the, it's the reporting. It's horrific. It's so awful. Uh, and here I am doing it all these years later. I'm just as bad as them. So John Mile, who was the man who was working for Elizabeth Googe, who the yes. first bloke who came along to help, uh, he said that he himself had worked for the Smiths for five weeks and he knew Pinkerton. He said he was a quiet and inoffensive young man. I never saw him the worse for liquor. But on Christmas Day, in other words, he wasn't much of a drinker. Mm-hmm. The Brighton Constable, Ambrose, Dr- Ambrose Draper, described the scene at the house when he'd arrived. He said that he had ordered all the females out of the house. All the females. <laughs> so how, how many were in there at that time, I wonder? <laughs> Everyone was there. It's fucking chaos. Everyone was there. Uh, he read the court Pinkerton's com- uh, confession and Dr. Edward Casperson gave evidence that Mrs. Smith's nose had been flattened, oh. her lips swelled and much discolor, uh, discolored, a bruise on the left side of the chin, some finger marks around her throat, uh, blah, blah, blah. He had her clay, clothes cut. When he arrived, she was still warm about the region of the heart, but it did not beat, neither did her pulse. Life was quite extinct. He did everything he could to try and restore her life, but he couldn't. So she's much more badly beaten up than Pinkerton admitted to because he said he, he only strangled her. Yeah. Um, who cares about his injuries? I'll skip over those. Um, and the baby, ugh, ugh, ugh. Mm. Uh, the coroner said the case was so plain it was unnecessary for him to sum up. Sum up. So there, there was a jury listening. They returned a verdict of willful murder against George Whitfield Pinkerton. Mm-hmm. The coroner held an inquest for the baby. Charles Joseph Smith is the baby. So the baby was called after his father's name. Um, and again, a verdict of willful murder against Pinkerton in that particular case. So Pinkerton was jailed. And it was expected that he would recover from his wounds about two and a half months later on Wednesday, the 6th of April, 1853. And obviously he has recovered. He survived that long. During his time in jail, a minister uh, had spoken to him, but the minister said that Pinkerton remained indifferent. He didn't express any regret for his crime. Uh, who refused to plead insanity. And if he had done that, they wouldn't have executed who sent him to the gallows. Um, but on Tuesday, April the 5th, I think it was 1853, wasn't it? He, well, he'd had a good night's sleep, clearly had no conscience. Uh, he said it was his last day on earth. He dressed in the same suit that he wore at the trial and he was taken to the gallows and the governor of the jail signalled to the executioner to pin Pinkerton's arms. And at that point, often a prisoner will beg for mercy or say they're sorry, but he said nothing. So they put the white cap on him. Uh, he said he was ready to meet his doom. And from the newspaper report on the hanging, because we just oh, haven't had enough God. horror from the old newspapers, he mounted the scaffold with a firm step, attended by the reverend. And on the very instant that he reached the platform, the rope was adjusted around the criminal's neck, the bolt was drawn, and all was over. Death, to all appearance, did its work in a moment, without creating even the slightest appearance of a struggle in the victim. There were lots of spectators... 
even though the weather was bad, and amongst them, oh. to their shame it be said, we observed many females and children. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, the body, after hanging for an hour, was cut down, and the features were distorted to far less an extent than is usually the case. So they've even gone over and examined the face. It also came to light that in his final days, Pinkerton admitted, admitted that he had planned the attack upon Mrs. Smith. Um, and they then did a post-mortem on his head. They found that his brain, they said, was in a sound and healthy state. They said that he wasn't arranged. Mm. And George Pinkerton was buried in the unhallowed corner of the Melbourne Cemetery. Uh, that's the part of the cemetery which is now got the Victoria Market over it. Oh, yeah, there's lots of dead bodies under there. So there you are, a bit of oldie-worldy murder. catch. On the feedback, we've got Jordan. Hi, Chanel, Dee Dee and Kirsten. Nice things, nice things. My name is Jordan and ladies, I'm devastated. I've binged your entire catalogue in two and a half weeks. Well, that's, that's too much that's, of us. Uh, that's way too much that's of us. That's too much of us in your life. And now I don't know what to do with myself. Oh, I've celebrated Chanel's engagement and marriage and Kirsten's engagement and motherhood. Hmm. Listen to Basma and Sabrina grow up really quickly. <laughs> Heard how Barry tried to off himself. <laughs> he really has tried to off himself every lockdown and mourned... Um, and mourned Harvey's death with the rest of the pod family. Seriously, I don't know if I've ever cried so hard about a dog I've never met. Oh, thank you. Thank for you. It's so lovely. It, I do. That's lovely to hear that. Now I reluctantly have to wait for your episode, which I await with anticipation. Well, what's happening in my life that I can tell you about? There's some bowel issues still going on. Oh, no, you can no. You go through no, that with me. No, um, Okay, so uh, Jordan yeah, said... Uh, oh, you, I, I could do an, uh, finish that one, okay. but then I can... I, I could love use that a... Jordan's going through our lives with us. I kind of have a dead body story. It's nothing shocking or scary. At the start of 2020, I enrolled in a nursing bachelor at my local university. Thank you. As part of the anatomy course, I got to examine body parts to further enhance my learning. The instructors emphasised respect for the people that donated their bodies to our education and they only showed us parts of the body that were relevant to our area of learning for the week. It was a fascinating experience and my dumb ass got to learn <laughs> that lungs are not hollow like balloons. They're not. No, they're like a sponge. Well, she, okay. Well, she literally says oh, they are instead sorry. more like a spongy. Yes. They are spongy-like with bronchi and alveoli yeah. and shit. Like little gaps for the air. <laughs> she says, I clearly learnt lots. One week we got to examine an area of the throat. I remember looking over at the instructor in charge of the body. As part of the preservation, the body has to be regularly sprayed, most likely with water or some kind of formaldehyde Ooh. to keep it from drying out. As I looked over and saw the instructor spraying the body, she partially removed the covering and I saw the body's ear, which in my mind was easier to link to a human being as opposed to seeing the inside of the rest. Oh, I understand. Oh, they cover the she, face. Yes, and yeah. she's just seen all the insides and then all of a sudden she saw an ear. Yeah, It freaked me out a little bit, but as soon as I learnt that this kind of empathy for someone is a good thing in my line of study. Unfortunately, I picked the perfect year to start a new course and only got to experience three weeks interacting with dead bodies before, before converting to online learning, which just isn't the same as hands-on work. Honor, 
lighter in brackets note i remember dd's episodes on escalator and elevator and stair deaths remember how wild that episode was that never goes out of my head Ever. and i've quoted at people all the time and recalled the death of the ceo of survey monkey which occurred while he was on the treadmill oh don't do this to me because i run on the treadmill every day granted the cause of death was most likely from a health condition rather than the exercise equipment but i was wondering if you guys could do an episode on gym equipment death so I can have no. a valid excuse no. not to go and use my gym membership. It would really help my fat ass out a lot. <laughs> Love the podcast. Hope you're all well. Love, Jordan. I don't think I'm not ready. It's too soon after Big's death for us to do it. Right. Wasn't that shocking? But don't start with this. Okay. So I go We to could the... do. There could be like barbells and everything. I actually know I can think of one in my head. A barbell death? A barbell in death. In jail? Was no, he? It's not in Williams. jail. It's actually, it's quite a good one. Well, you can take you take that then. But then, so episode. okay, this is my thing, right? This is why I'm fucked up on gym deaths. So, because I have covered so many mur- murders in this town, I am always aware that I could be raped and murdered at any moment as Ooh, a woman. Okay. Right? I've yep. covered the deaths of so many young women who have been raped and murdered by randoms. So when I work out, which is I'm trying to do every morning. I will not run the streets of this town. I will uh, well, not be a victim. When you said you do a treadmill, I don't get it. Why wouldn't you go out in the fresh air? And no, see I do not because I'm scared to get murdered. So every morning oh, at between 5.30 and 6am, I drive to the gym. Probably don't tell people your exact movements because if you want but to be But no murdered... one knows what gym I'm going to. Well, okay. you might. But anyway, so I am so panicked. So to get into the gym, you have to open an app on your phone and then you press open door on the oh, app and the gym door yes. opens. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not just open all the time. You should see me run. <laughs> I run so fast every morning into the gym because I don't want to get murdered. And then in, like, I case the joint when I get in there. I'm like, okay, gym, man on treadmill, man on stepper, man over there. <laughs> Could any of these men murder me? I think I'm okay. But I am on high alert at the gym and do you also while you're doing all that do you think what's my weapon what am I fighting yeah with? all yep. the time yep constantly I look for weapons if I'm <laughs> at the park walking to it because there's usually no one at the park and if there's someone walking towards me like a man that I don't yeah. know if they've got a dog I'm usually okay but then I start to get suspicious and think maybe you've only got the dog so that I will trust you so yesterday I was walking just down at roll shops and there was a man quite close behind me and I turned around and he was looking down at his phone so he hadn't realized that he was look he was so close and he goes holy shit I'm so sorry I'm not stalking you not stalking you like he was so aware of wow. what it, and I was like oh no it's okay I just felt like you were getting really close he's like yeah my bad my bad my bad he goes I'll walk ahead of you and he walked ahead of me, so he was no longer behind me. That is me. the worst thing, and especially at the park when there's not hardly anyone there. If you're walking in the same direction as another person, <laughs> oh. you, there's there's going to whatever you either have to go slower, go yes. a different way, yeah. or like charge past them so that because you don't want to be walking with them. No, I also want to. Can we talk about personal space, please? Okay, sister and I go to the movies a couple of weeks oh, ago. Oh God, yeah, to see Spencer. The Diana movie, because as everyone the, knows, I fucking love the Royals. That's a shit movie. I won't even go. It and was see like it. It, it's it's very artsy. I didn't expect it. Anyway, we get into the cinema. It's empty. 
There's no one there. Right. And like we're waiting and we're waiting thinking, surely people no one there. So it's getting to the point where the movie's going to start. So we're like, fuck it, let's move seats. We got the whole cinema to ourselves. Mm. So we like plonk ourselves right in the middle. Yeah. Just as the movie's about to start, a woman walks in. And she starts walking towards our seats. No. And I said to my sister, we're going to have a problem here. Mm. (laughs) She walks up. She looks at her ticket. She looks at the seat I'm in and she goes, you're in my seat. The whole cinema is empty. Now, controversial, I, right? I know. I want to smack her. I said. Just I, sit somewhere else, you And at idiot. the same time, two other women walk in and they sit in the chairs behind us. And I was like, yep, no problems. No worries. So sorry. Like, it's her seat. So we're happy to move. I'm like, no worries. But if you were her, you wouldn't have done that. You would have gone, I oh, sat okay. Anywhere. I can it see was what's like happened. A, it was like a super cinema as well. It was huge. Wow. Anyway, so I was like, no worries. Sorry. We didn't think anyone else was coming. So we just sat anywhere. And she goes, well, it matters to some people (gasps) what so we just moved down the aisle a little bit and then the ladies behind us tapped me on the shoulder and she goes girls are you in the right seat now and started laughing she was laughing she was with you she was with us and how ridiculous it was but the whole movie I was like looking out of the corner of my eyes like wow People are cunts in movies. Because <laughs> especially... Well, there Chris, it is. I went years ago, I had to go, we used to always have to go to this little screening cinema to a... Um, and actually, no, it was a proper cinema. It was a script, like a pre-screening, a media yeah. one. And I had done breakfast radio. And so Grubby, who I was working with at the time, we had both gone and got big sandwiches to have... <laughs> To eat in the movie. <laughs> Big sandwiches in a movie? Hungry. Because we've been up since, you know, four o'clock in the morning and the movie screening's at like 11. Okay, yeah, so, sure. Yeah, why not? Sure. And so, and we, we waited for noisy scenes. We were waiting for like, you know. Uh, there was nothing. Yeah. So no. you're there. Yeah. Not in the quiet, you know, where they're both sitting together saying, darling, I don't think we can go on like yeah. this. You wouldn't No, it's like you have to time even when you open chips. You've yes. got to wait for an explosion Yes, you rip open your chips. And a lady <laughs> sitting along from us turned to us and went, shh, told us to shush. A shusha. It's so hard to eat. Like your saliva dries up. <laughs> saliva dries up. We were trying to chew. The motion no longer becomes natural. It, it was a like... chicken and avocado ciabatta roll and it was like a chicken avocado <laughs> It was. a really good from chicken up the road but I couldn't enjoy it. ciabatta you... roll. You can't eat a ciabatta roll because it involves tearing. I didn't. It was like this the doughiness of it and I couldn't. Oh, anyway. Um, yeah, let other people be. And if... I would, can I just say, in yes. a different scenario on a Saturday night night where the, the cinema was full, I'm sitting in the seat I'm allocated yes. in, yep. but it was a Wednesday at 12.10 yep. and no one had turned up and I was more than happy to move, but it was just like, of course this happened, of course. That's your bloomin' lot for today. Uh, sorry if these are snappy episodes. We're just, just <laughs> calling it. Calling well, there's been a it. lot of banter in Oh, no, we're working under head. duress. Look at this. We're working under duress. We're under time. I'm measures. upset that you didn't want to know about my bowel. Well, we'll get to your bowel next. I'm making notes because I've got things to talk about. Too. <laughs> because. And I want to hear about your neighbour. We'll do that in the next episode, Charnel. don't okay. you think? All right. Sure. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Charnel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.